Southwestern family of companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. Each week, our diversely and amazingly accomplished guests share their insights and inspirations to help us ignite our own. So let's invest attention together to breathe, to reflect and refocus, and decisively defeat that voice we call Mr. Mediocrity. Then let's enjoy moving forward to make a positive difference in our world. This episode is sponsored by Southwestern Speakers. Southwestern Speakers is comprised of top producing thought leaders, authors, and experts who deliver dynamic presentations that shift the hearts and minds of audiences worldwide. Our team of experienced agents can guide you to find the right speaker for your annual conferences, meetings, and events, providing outstanding service from start to finish. Southwestern Speakers goes above and beyond to elevate your event and offers additional programs to extend the impact of our speaker's presentation long after they have left the stage. Today we have a phenomenal guest, Mr. Gary Garfield. Gary is the retired CEO and head boss of Bridgestone Americas. To give you just a little bit of background, Gary came up through the legal path, a proud graduate of the University of Cincinnati Law School, and joined Bridgestone in the legal department in 1991. In just four years' time, he was promoted to general counsel and then became general counsel of the entire corporation. Many of you may remember there was a very large event that occurred between Bridgestone and Ford dealing with tires. It was a crisis of the first rank, and Gary was the person that shepherded the company through that crisis, coming out the other side in great shape. In 2010, he became executive chairman of Bridgestone Americas and truly led the company from the front. I'm going to let him tell you a little bit more about that. But I can say the type of person he is, he's always been heavily involved in service to the community, and particularly with leadership roles for the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America and the American Heart Association. He is a sought-after keynote speaker. In fact, just after this, he's heading off to the Seattle Technology Summit and is in the process of writing a book about leadership. You're going to get some advanced preview information today about what will be in Gary's book, and we'll be sure that we post on this site when the book is out and you'll be able to learn more about it. So Gary Garfield, thank you so much for being with us. Um, I love everything about your career, and I wonder if you wouldn't mind just sharing, first of all, what it was like to become the head guy at one of the world's largest corporations when you came up through the legal route. I think that probably surprised a lot of people. Well, Dan, uh, first of all, thank you for having me. And it, I think it did surprise a lot of people, and it surprised me too, to be honest with you. Um, I wasn't expecting to become the CEO of Bridgestone Americas, uh, but I was fortunately tapped on the shoulder. I think um, the reason why I was selected, or the reasons why I was selected to become the CEO, are, um, first of all, I never pigeonholed myself as being just a lawyer, I tried to immerse myself in the business. I tried to understand um, the the business objectives that the companies had and different parts of the organization had. And as I was giving them legal advice, trying to figure out how I could tailor the advice um, and help them achieve their objectives at the same time. So I think that was part of it. Um, and uh, I, I really, I, I, I'm a very, uh, I think values are very important. 
and I was always very value based. Um, I was honest with with people. Um, uh, I, I expected them to be honest with me, um, and I tried to understand where they were coming from and what they needed, uh, in in what I could do to help them. And I think all of that contributed to me being selected as the uh, CEO. So clearly that attitude of serving others was true, regardless of what position you found yourself in the company. And I think that is absolutely phenomenal. Now, when you ascended to the helm, this was a company that was one of the world's largest companies, 55,000 employees under your leadership, representing 55% of Bridgestone's global sales. And yet the company was, was somewhat stagnant. Uh, it was in a rut financially. And although everybody knew the brands Bridgestone and Firestone, the company was somewhat struggling. And I wonder if you could just share with us how you focused on changing, first of all, the culture, the general attitudes, and all the rest of the company. Sure. Um, so, first of all, as you said, the company had been in a rut. And actually, Bridgestone, which is a Japanese company, had acquired Firestone in 1988. And the operations in the Americas had never performed well since the acquisition. Uh, and we reached a low point, as you mentioned earlier, during the um, Ford Firestone tire recall that uh, occurred in 2000. And um, the company had, had never really recovered from that. Um, so when I took over, um, first of all, you need, I, I, I took the attitude that uh, we needed to take the organization to the next level. But to do that, I had to empower people. Um, we were a very top-down organization. Uh, decisions were always made at the top, even minor decisions. One of the first questions I got asked at, uh, upon becoming the CEO for Bridgestone Americas, again, a 55,000-person company with, um, at the time, about $11 billion in revenue. One of the first questions I got asked was, what wine should we serve at the Titan Suite for the upcoming football season? Wow. Exactly. And that just shouldn't be the focus of the CEO. And uh, I began to push decision-making down and empower people to make decisions. I also have very high expectations for myself and very high expectations for others and very high expectations for how I wanted the company to perform. And I tried to uh, articulate that vision for the organization uh, and in the process galvanize um, the different businesses. Uh, um, and I expected them to come up with strategies and goals that I thought were credible um, and that uh, were aggressive, but not outrageously aggressive. Um, and then I, I tried hard to hold people accountable to those strategy and goals. Right. So previously, they were given their goals and said, here's what you need to hit. When, when it was done that way, Gary, what was sort of the belief factor of the people when they would receive their targets and their objectives? What, what did that do to their attitudes compared to what you could make them? Well, Dan, you're exactly right. And what that did to people is 
um, they would say, okay, we'll try and do it. That's what they would say verbally, but they didn't believe it. Um, and, and they didn't give the 110% because they didn't own it. It wasn't theirs. Um, and I think that's very critical. Um, one of, one of the, uh, greatest generals ever to serve in the United States army said, don't tell people exactly what to do. Just give them, uh, give them a target. But here they gave me a target, but I had to approve it and let them surprise you in the remarkable ways that they accomplished their goals. And that's what I tried to do. That is fantastic. Let them surprise you in the remarkable ways they would achieve their goals. So agree on, on the target. You would sign off on the things they would say and then give them some latitude to run. Is that pretty much what you did? That's exactly right. Okay. I also know that when you first started, I recall you talking about how much time you were spending on the road. So many business units spread out. Really, your influence was on five different continents and wanting to have face time with people as opposed to just staying on the top floor of the headquarters. What, what caused you to, to actually do that? And what were some of the challenges entailed in just getting yourself out there so quickly from being the legal guy to now all of a sudden the leader? Right. Well, I, I think for me, there were a number of reasons why I needed to get out there so quickly. Um, first of all, at, while I was the general counsel for Bridgestone Americas, a lot of people throughout the organization didn't know me. And I thought it was very important that they get to know me and that I get to know them and build a rapport with them. So that was one reason why I wanted to do it. Secondly, uh, I had a vision for the company. And um, that was uh, to, to really reclaim our position as the true leader in the tire, in the tire industry. And um, there were different parts of that vision but at a high level, that's really what it was. And I had to explain that to the organization, sell it to the organization. And I, I just don't believe you can do that effectively through memos uh, or emails. And I wanted to do that in person. And um, so those were the two motivations that I had. Uh, and also it helped me understand the different aspects of the business, the problems and challenges that they were facing. And it also helped me evaluate the people, which was, which is one of the most important parts of leadership. You have to have the right team in place. So those are the reasons why I tried to get out there. Uh, and I, I, I think I did a pretty decent job of it, but I'll tell you this much, Dan, it was exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> I completely believe that. Uh, now, just to uh, encapsulate, when you started as the CEO, this entire $11 billion corporation was generating about $300 million in profit. And although many of our listeners are entrepreneurs and they have much smaller organizations, and the idea of making $300 million in profit sounds absolutely skyrocketingly great, uh, when you have $11 billion in revenue, $300 million in profit is, is kind of moribund. It's, it's, it's not there. And yet, six years later... Gary, you had taken it to 1.8 billion and sales had also grown, but nothing like the six-fold increase in profits. This is so incredible. And you've said to me several times, well, the first thing that a leader has to do is lead him or herself. 
before they can ever lead others. And I wonder if you could comment on that in the context of the tremendous improvement in profitability that you caused to happen there. Uh, sure. So I, I truly believe that all leadership begins with, with yourself, with the individual. Uh, and there are many different layers to that, Dan. Um, first of all, do you push yourself to grow and learn? Secondly, what is your general attitude? Are you optimistic? Are you pessimistic? Um, do you uh, encourage the people around you or do you bring them down? Um, what is your general attitude about work, about yourself, about others, about life? And I, I strongly believe that attitude is a choice. And I, I always try to choose a positive attitude. And I actually learned that from my father, um, who pounded that into me, if you will, throughout my childhood. But then you need to go deeper still. Um, emotional maturity is so very important. Uh, it's so easy to have a bad day, for traffic to be awful, for something to go wrong, and then take it out on someone else. Um, it's easy to do that. Anybody can do that. But it's not so easy to um, be angry, if you will, um, at the right person, at the right time, in the right way, to the right degree, and for the right reason. And that's called emotional maturity. That's victory over yourself. And if, if you can do that, I believe people will be much more inclined to follow you than they will if uh, you're mercurial, if they never know what's going to set you off, um, uh, and, and um, if you're yelling and upset half the time and for no real good reason. Uh, and I don't know that there's ever a good reason to be yelling and upset, um, but that's emotional maturity. And then I try to go deeper still, and I worked very hard on this, and that is we all have our demons in life, our issues, and you have to begin to understand those demons, if not uh, to control them, at least to minimize them. And when you do that, when you do those things, people will sense it. People will believe that you have the credi credibility you need um, to lead them forward, and they will be inclined to follow you. Uh, and uh, there's just no question in my mind, that's where leadership begins. There's a professor at the Kellogg School of Management who said something like, if you don't understand yourself, you can't lead yourself. And if you can't lead yourself, you can't possibly lead others. And I believe that to be true. That is absolutely powerful. So in a way, you're saying you should always show your human side, let people know that you have had struggles, that you're dealing with issues, and yet never descend into mockery, uh, criticism for the sake of criticism, and inconsistent behavior just because you're emotional. That's exactly right. Uh, you're spot on. That's what you have to control. And in, in my experience, um, I've seen so many uh, people who, who I'm very fond of, I had great relationships with, 
but they ended up being their own worst enemy because they couldn't control themselves. And uh, I, I found that in many, in many aspects of my life. Um, and that's victory over yourself. I think that's awesome. So it's really a lot of self-awareness, uh, knowing where you're coming from, what's made you the way that you are, and assessing yourself. Why do I react in the way I'm reacting right now and thinking it through? Because I know as busy as you've always been and surrounded by literally tens of thousands of people, you've always taken time for thought and introspection. And in many ways, you've been your own coach and your own harshest critic at the same time. Do you, do you, how would you advise our, our people that are busy from dawn until they finally can't even work any longer to, to mark off that time for self-assessment, self-reflection, self-renewal? Right. Uh, I, I think it starts with the perspective that that is the beginning of all leadership. Um, D. Hawk is, is the, was the founder and CEO of Visa. Not a bad thing to have on your resume. Not bad. <laughs> right. And he said, if you want to be a leader, you need to spend 50% of your time on yourself. And whether it's exactly 50%, it depends on the individual, but the point is you have to spend a lot of time on yourself and you have to, you, you just have to set aside time to do that. Um, uh, and I did that, but I did that a lot of times by working with other people, whether it was a coach, a mentor, um, talking with people around me to get feedback on, uh, how I was doing, how I could do better, um, and being receptive to what, what they were saying. There's a great, one great story I'd love to share with you, Dan, uh, is shortly after I became the CEO, um, I had, I had uh, a, an executive coach, and he attended a meeting that I was chairing. And in the meeting, this was about a week after I became the CEO, and we had formed an, an executive committee and that nothing like that had ever been done at Bridgestone Americas. This is part of bringing people in and, and making clear to them they were influential and important in the direction and strategy of the organization. And that it was a, a team effort, if you will, not just me making decisions at the top. So he attended this first meeting and somewhere during that first meeting, I mentioned something about me being a lawyer and I don't, I don't remember what it was or what the context was. And when the meeting was over, we went back to my office and I said, so what do you think? How'd I do? And I actually thought I had done pretty well. And he said to me, well, you did, except you mentioned that you were a lawyer and I don't ever want you to say again that you were a lawyer. You need to think of yourself as the CEO and everyone around you needs to think of you as the CEO. Hmm. So again, not pigeonholing yourself and changing the way you view yourself before you can actually change the way other people might view themselves. That's correct. Um, that's exactly right. And being open to the comments of other, of others, um, being receptive to how you can be better, uh, a better leader and, and uh, for that matter, a better person. Well, that is phenomenal. Um, now, because 
your organization was part of a global organization that was based in Japan. That meant you also had bosses. That meant that even though you were the main person with Bridgestone Americas, you had people you had to answer to. Were there ever top-down goals that were handed to you that you thought didn't make any kind of sense? And what is the best way you would advise people to almost negotiate in those situations when, when you know because you know your business that that doesn't make any sense? What advice could you give for some of our listeners? Sure. Um, and we had that situation uh, several times. And, and I think it's a cultural difference between the Japanese and the Americans. Um, but it was what it was. And uh, I did my best and I would a encourage our people to do their best to work with their counterparts at Japan to understand our business, understand our strategy, uh, revise the goals if we could. And sometimes we could and sometimes we couldn't. And uh, um, that's just the way the world is. And you just have to do the best you can. But I think the people at Bridgestone Americas understood that we were doing the best we could to work in a positive way with the parent company. Um, and uh, um, that was all we could do at the time. And sometimes they would say, I understand what you're saying. What do you think makes sense? But other times they would say, no, this is what we need from you. And that's just the way the world is. And you got to do it or do the best you can. Right, with it. right. One of the things that we teach in, in the Southwestern family of companies is to become aware of what we call the CIA. And it's not those spy guys at all. Uh, C stands for things we can control. I stands for things we can influence. And A are the things we just need to accept. And when people spend too much emotional energy worrying about the things they really just ought to accept, then they lose their power to control and to influence. And it sounds like you transcended that in a big way. Well, I, I couldn't have articulated it as well as you did, but that's exactly right. Um, and, and it's even outside the workplace, there are all kinds of things we just need to accept in life. And you can spend a lot of time and angst and frustration over those things, or uh, you, can, you can accept them and move on. Um, it's the Lord's Prayer. Give me the strength. Um, to change the things I can and the wisdom to uh, accept the things I can't. Absolutely. Um, if I can kind of shift gears a little bit too, Gary, everybody that listens to this program has got multiple constraints on their lives. You also, long-time marriage with Cindy, you have two amazingly successful young children, young from my point of view anyway, uh, you've got two great-grandchildren. Um, how in the world do you figure out the balance so that you can be what you need to be in your business, in your organization, and to yourself, and yet be there for your loved ones too? Right. Um, and at, at times um, that was difficult, but I, I would look at it this way. The balance, first of all, the whole world is about balance. Your life should be about balance. That's incredibly important. Um, when I was the CEO, I tried hard to make sure that um, I at least got a decent amount of sleep um, and worked out um, not as regularly as I would like, but um, uh, I didn't 
I didn't let my physical and emotional well-being um, decline uh, significantly because that then I wouldn't be as effective at my job or as effective, if you will, in my personal life. But I think you, you have to recognize that what is the right balance changes with the circumstances that come into play. For example, when I became the CEO, that first year and a half, uh, maybe two years, that had to consume most of my life. It was a big step for me. And um, the organization, we made a lot of changes in the organization, and I had to help see those changes through. Um, and as the organization began to uh, adopt the changes and, and um, get not, not, I wouldn't call it on autopilot, but more on autopilot, then you can take a step back and um, bring those other aspects that are so important into your life. Um, but I think balance is very, very important. But you also have to understand that balance changes with the circumstances. Part, another perfect example, you mentioned the recall with, uh, for, with Ford and Firestone Tires. Well, the company was at risk. And um, not just me, but dozens of people gave everything they had to save the company. And so the balance had to change at that point in time. And then once the company survived, was in a position where you knew it was going to survive, you take a step back and bring those other things back into your life as, and, and sort of tilt the balance that way a little bit. Right. So it's that the dynamic between just understanding the needs of the situation and that sometimes we have to make extraordinary sacrifices. But then as soon as we have the chance to get back into equilibrium, we should do that. That's exactly that makes right. Sense. And communication with loved ones and supporters during that process helps them at least grasp it. You see, one of the incredible things to me about the whole recall process and what you did in your first year and a half with the tremendous commitment you put in is that it wasn't about you. It was about realizing there are tens of thousands of people that depended upon your efforts and depended upon your work. And yes, our families are critical and they're the most important thing in the long run of life. But if we also only pay attention to our families and we don't think about the livelihoods of all the people that also depend on us through our workplace, then we're really robbing the gift that we're given to be leaders. And that's what I hear you practice so well. That's exactly right. In fact, Dan, when I became the CEO, that was my primary motivation. It was to help secure the livelihood of the 55,000 people uh, and their families who worked for the organization. I viewed that as my greatest responsibility. Now, it wasn't something I could do alone. It's a massive team effort. But day in and day out, that was my motivation. And you definitely made that happen, Gary. Uh, one, one sort of last area to talk about. I also know that uh, some years ago, you were diagnosed with a serious heart valve condition. And you were very concerned, as anybody would be. I know that your family was. Um, what did you do to handle that medical news while you were in the midst of the many responsibilities you had in charge of legal for the corporation? You were secretary of the corporation. You had all of these constraints on. How did you absorb that news? What were the thought processes you went through that, that helped you? And of course, you eventually got treatment. So listeners, he's okay. It's all good. But, but it was serious. 
it, it was serious. And actually what happened, Dan, is when I was tapped on the shoulder to be the CEO, um, I had been told about a week earlier that I will need to have heart valve surgery for a defective valve that I had. And uh, the first thing that I did in that meeting uh, where they said we would like for you to be the CEO was I told them, you need to know I'm going to have this open heart surgery um, because I thought it was, it was only fair to them and the organization that they know of this health condition that I had. I told them, I think everything's going to be fine, but we don't know for sure. And they held off making the final decision on whether I would, they being the parent company, on whether I would be the CEO till after uh, the surgery was over. And I had at least somewhat recovered from the surgery. But this goes back to the issue of balance. Um, when I had to undergo the surgery, I had to put the corporation on hold and the perspective of being the CEO on hold. That was the balance that was needed in my life at the time. And you just do the best you can with it. And the chips will fall where they may. Um, but that was, that was the approach that I took. And I think you understood that if you didn't take care of your health at that moment in time, then there's a possibility you wouldn't be around to be of benefit to anybody, your family, either 55,000 employees or anybody. So it was a really incredibly critical, important decision and not one made in denial. And your honesty with your employers was phenomenal. Thank you. Well, this is amazing. Well, Gary, any, any other insights you would add? Again, many of our listeners are, are entrepreneurs. They have smaller organizations. Uh, many of them are leaders in their organization. Some have been successful leaders for a very long time. Any, any final insights that you would share with this very diverse audience of people that all want to achieve more and gain more from life? Well, I think in terms of the workplace uh, and in any situation in which you find yourself as a leader, um, a civic organization or, or what have you, um, I, I kind of sum up leadership as having this foundation. The foundation is you. And then there are certain things that really every successful leader does. They have a vision. They pay great attention to the culture that they create. Um, culture eats strategy for breakfast. One of the great, great consultants of all time said that. Then they pay attention to the team around them. Do they have the right people? Um, and, and that is so important because, first of all, you can't do everything. You have to delegate. And more importantly, if you are doing everything, then you probably aren't paying attention to the things you need to pay attention to, to take the organization to the next level. And finally, um, you have to take ownership. And that means really focus on what must be done to succeed um, and hold people accountable for that. And to me, if you do those things, um, you will be a successful leader. But apart from uh, leadership in the workplace, life balance is so very important. Absolutely. That is phenomenal, phenomenal advice. Uh, everyone, we are very grateful that we've had this opportunity to visit with Gary Garfield. Gary, have a safe trip to Seattle. Uh, Gary's book will be out sometime in the next period of time, and we'll make sure that we announce and post that. 
I'll be the first one to sign up and get a copy. So Gary Garfield, safe travels, and thanks so much for being with us today on The Action Catalyst. Thank you, Dan. I totally enjoyed it. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. To stay updated on everything that The Action Catalyst is up to, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and Twitter at Catalyst underscore action. Thanks for listening.